Luke, Luke chapter 22. Let's open the scriptures together. If we just have the Spirit, we'll blow up. Uh, if we have the Word only, we dry up. So we need both and we'll grow up. Write that down, attribute it to me. That would be a lie. Luke chapter 22, and I want to start reading from verse 39. And um, the Holy Spirit just settled on me earlier on today, I believe, to preach this. And so I'm going to. I want to talk to you tonight about holiness. I want to talk to you tonight about being uh, set apart for God. I want to talk about bringing our lives into great change so that we're not seeking to be successful, we're seeking to be like Him. And everything else is counted in the words of Paul now, it's not me, as dung compared to that. Here's a story of Jesus praying in the garden. Jesus went up as usual, verse 39. Everyone with me? Say aye. Okay, he went up as usual to the Mount of Olives. And his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. Verse 41, he withdrew about a stone's throw. That's where that expression in English comes from. He withdrew about a stone's throw. Only Luke gives us that detail. About a stone's throw beyond them. So you just work that out. How far could you, how far could I throw a stone from here? And where would it land? It's, it's a little distance, but it's not that far. And he knelt down and prayed. Father, if you are willing, Take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Can you say amen to that? Not my will, but yours be done. In 2017, not my will be done, not what I want, but whatever God wants, that's what I want. Father, not my will but yours be done. Not so easy to pray that when he was aware that the Father's will was that he was about to drink a terrible cup of suffering. Verse 43, an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And he, being in anguish, prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. What an incredible line in the Bible that is. See, it's possible to be exhausted. From sorrow. Is that what it says in your Bible? It's amazing, isn't it? An amazing line. 
He found them exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping? He asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Lord, may the blessing of God rest upon the reading of this word. In the name of Jesus, amen. I want to encourage you tonight to resist temptation. I want to encourage you to, in this year ahead, and of course forever and ever, but to pursue a holy life. A holy life means that we are set apart for God. That means we are in His presence. That's what's happening here. The battle concerning sin and temptation in the life of Jesus is being fought. Watch this now. It's being fought. It's being handled. It's being challenged. The issue is in the presence of the Father. Without the presence of the Father, there will never be any victory in terms of what we want to see change within our own morals and our own ethics and our own character. Everyone understand what I mean by that? It's all done in the presence of the Father. And uh, it's one of the reasons why many Christians really see so much failure in their life in terms of what they want to be. I believe that many Christians are not the Christian that they want to be. I believe that possibly you and I are not the Christians that we want to be. It's not that we don't want it. It's not that we don't want to be right. It's not that we don't want to live pure. It's not that we don't want to be holy. It's not that we don't want to love God and pursue God. And for that to be much more than just a few hours on a Sunday here and there. But, but somehow we find ourselves in a battle every day that we quite often lose and give up on and fall into sin. And, and as the phrase is used here, fall, verse 46, into temptation. Jesus says to them that the secret is to pray that you will not fall into temptation. He doesn't tell them to have willpower. He doesn't tell them to confess anything. He doesn't tell them that they can do it. He tells them they can't do it unless they come into the presence of the Father. So that's the first thing I want to say. The second thing would be, I think sometimes we miss what holiness is. Holiness is not getting all the morality right. Holiness is not being absolutely biblically ethical or not doing anything wrong, keeping all the commandments. Holiness is being set apart for God. And the effect of holiness is all the morality and the ethics that follow. Everyone understand what I mean? It's the effect of being with God. The effect of being in the Father's presence brings about the fact that we don't lie and we don't cheat and we don't commit adultery, not even with our minds, you know, etc., etc. So holiness isn't about what we do. Holiness is about who we are. And holiness is not so much about what we're going to do now. It's actually about where we've been. Have we been in the presence of the Father? 
And as a result of that, we are holy in that we are, we are set apart for Him. And then the fruit of holiness is seen in our lives. There are Christians all over Britain tonight who are making New Year's resolutions in the name of Jesus. And they're deciding, I'm no longer going to do that. I'm no longer going to do this. I know I shouldn't be doing this. I know I shouldn't be doing that. And Lord, I'm standing at an altar call. I'm not going to do that anymore, Lord. And quite frankly, it's an altar call that hasn't altered anyone's call. Because they're making New Year's resolutions. They're not people who are giving themselves to the presence of the Father. And I'm not saying it in judgment. I'm saying it with all grace. That actually, I just want you to know tonight, whatever you aspire to be, it has to be because you have been in the presence of the Lord. Otherwise, it's really not going to work. It doesn't matter how much self-help orientation you've got. It doesn't matter how much willpower you've got. And that, that might help you, of course. A little bit of willpower, you know, is pretty good. As long as it's God's will that you're willing. But ultimately, Jesus says, pray. Come into, you know, there they all were. A stone's throw away from the Father. How tragic. The father was with his son. Just a stone's throw from where they were. The father's not far away. Isn't that great? <coughs> so just a few things. that uh, Just some reflections on being right with God. Just some reflections on overcoming temptation, you know. Not law, not bondage, not ritual, but a relationship with God that brings about these changes. Number one, I want to say to you tonight, I think it might be quite a lonely life. I want you to notice, Jesus is alone. The disciples who had sang the songs about the kingdom, were now quitting. They were asleep in one of the greatest hours in human history, weren't they, actually? Well, I guess we identify with them quite a lot, and so we should. But let's look at Jesus. Jesus is alone. I wonder whether you've ever thought to yourself, that following Jesus means you can't follow everybody else. Sometimes to be a Christian means that you have to be absolutely lonely. Now, of course, there's a great sense in which here we are in a great local church and we're all here for one another and etc., etc. But I saw a wonderful thing on social media the other day, and it said this. New Year's resolution, I will live for God, number one. And number two, if nobody else does, I still will. The definition of someone who's gone a bit too far 
it's normally someone who's just a bit more on fire for Jesus than you. Oh, I think they're going a bit too far. <laughs> I am the model. My life. Anyone not quite doing what I'm doing, they're not, they're a little bit backslidden. But anyone going beyond, they're, they're going a bit too far. Do you know what? I reckon we should all go a bit too far this year. I want to go a bit too far. But it might make you lonely. I spend a lot of pastoral time at the college. I spend a lot of time sitting in the dining room and talking with students. Do you know what I find? I find that many of the students who come from non-Christian backgrounds, they're not at a disadvantage. Sometimes they're at an advantage. Because they've had to dig their own wells. They've had to make their own way. They've faced opposition. Their mum and dad or whoever don't want them to be at the college. Right? You with me? And so they've had to go against the flow. Now, of course, there are plenty of other great students from Christian backgrounds. But what I'm saying is I've not always found it to be a disadvantage. And ultimately, being homely is lonely because it's all about what you're going to do and who you're going to be. It's going to be your call. It's not going to be about whether your wife's holy. It's not going to be about whether your mum's holy. It's not going to be about whether your pastor's holy. It's going to be about whether you're holy. It's going to be about what you're going to do when you're on your own, when no one sees you, and when you live for God just because it's the right thing to do. Not because other people are going to applaud you or promote you or even encourage you. Jeremiah said this over in Jeremiah 15 and verse 17. Jeremiah 15 and verse 17. He writes something incredible. He says something like this. I couldn't join in with all the revelers and I couldn't join in with all the fun. He says, I sat alone because the hand of the Lord was upon me. I sat alone. And sometimes you're going to find yourself alone. But it's all right. I am going to live for God this year, number one. And number two, and I'm going to do it even if nobody else does. So it's a bit lonely being holy, but it's all right. It's kind of part of it. Number two, it seems that holiness... It's not compromised or spoiled by honesty. The way Jesus is talking is really quite frightening, isn't it? Have a look at that text again. Father, if you are willing, verse 42, Luke 22, 42, if you're willing, take the cup from me. I think sometimes we get a bit, I get a bit scared when I read this. What? The whole of history was hanging on this moment. The fact that we're here tonight is because Jesus said, nevertheless, I'll do it. But it doesn't matter how you cut this. It doesn't matter what lens you use. It doesn't matter how you look at this. From whatever tradition you want to look at it, Jesus didn't really want to do it. Or at least we should say, there was a part of him that didn't want to do this. 
Isn't that amazing? Because the Bible says that he's without sin. That must mean then that just being honest in the presence of God is not wrong. To sit down with someone in the church, a pastor, a leader, or in your life group, or in your whatever group you have, and say to them, do you know what? I'm really not good. That's not going wrong. That's going right. Somehow, with God, we are to walk in the light as He is in the light. And the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. When we walk in the light, I wonder if you've got someone in your life that you can be honest with. And of course, it needs to be someone who wants to go the stone's throw away. Don't hang around with someone who's sleeping by the tree. That ain't no good. You want to go and find someone who's gone where that stone has been thrown. And say to them, do you know what? I'm, I am a struggling man. It just, it amazes me. Clearly, Jesus has not sinned here, despite his desire to not do in full the will of God. Number th three, I notice that this, this holiness, watch this now, it pivots around the human decision that behaves as though God's way is best. Can I say that again? Holiness, from this story right here, pivots around the human decision that behaves, not believes, but behaves as though God's way is the best way. Nevertheless, this is what I want to do. This is how I'm feeling. These are the cravings in my body, in my mind, in my soul, and in my flesh. These are the cravings in my flesh. Nevertheless, I am going to behave as though God is smarter than me. What he's written is true. I believe that we are full of, surrounded by people who believe that God's way is best. But that's not holiness. Holiness is where we behave as though God's way is best. In fact, one might say that if one does not behave as though God's way is best, then we might really have to ask ourselves whether we really believe that God's way is best. One time I was having a chat with a pastor much smarter than me. And I was telling him what I believed. And he said this to me. This was in London. He, he, well, I told you that maybe just to add a bit of color. <coughs> he said this to me. He said, don't tell me what you believe. Tell me what you do. And then I will tell you what you believe. I was Irritated, because he was right, wasn't he? Everyone in this room 
people, most people in this room, at least some people in this room, would believe that God's way is always the best way. But holiness isn't that. That's just theology. Holiness is when we behave as though God's way is best. And that could be a challenge. That means you might have to lose an argument. That means you might have to have a genuine reason to be angry, but you put it aside. That might mean that instead of telling a lie, you might have to tell the truth that's going to get you into trouble. Well, it doesn't look like this is the best way out of this. If we're going to be holy, we're going to have to behave, not just believe that God's word is true. That forgiveness is better than fury. We're going to have to believe that honesty is the best and indeed the only policy. We're going to have to believe that we're going to have to work hard. We're going to have to believe and behave. That we should be pure. That certain things on TV aren't doing you any good at all. Don't just believe it's harmful. Behave as if it's harmful and turn it off. Whatsoever things are beautiful, of any honesty, of if there be any virtue, think on these things. Well, yeah, but uh, no, but you see, this is it, isn't it? There's a price. So number one, it's going to be lonely to be holy. Not everyone you sit next to who talks in tongues is going to want to do it. Not everyone who claps and says hallelujah wants to go the stone's throw further and be with the Father. I want to encourage you tonight to be that person. To throw that stone and to go that distance. But it might be a bit lonely. You might have to say no to certain functions. You might have to leave a social gathering early because you shouldn't be here. You're not judging others. You're judging yourself. We're not talking about I'm better than them. We're talking about, I'm not strong enough to be with them. I judge me, not them. Number two, that holiness isn't compromised by being honest. Maybe it's time to open up a bit. If this is what we want. If you had a desire, I'm just making something up now, but if you had the desire to be a great, I don't know, graphic artist, then you would get around other graphic artists. Teach me, train me, help me. What are the openings? How can I do it? You'd get trained. You'd go to graphic art school. If you wanted to be a civil engineer, you'd get around people who, who'd done that. If you wanted to launch your first album, 
you'd find someone who'd launched an album and say, how do you do it? Because you know that who you mingle with so determines where you're going. I want to ask you tonight, as I ask myself, may God help me, the preacher, more than any of you, that in 2017, I might get around people who've gone the stone's throw and say, will you help me to come with you? And at times, when it's just me, I'm still there. I'm in the presence of the Father. There's no music. The choir are not singing, nearer my God to thee. I'm just in the car now. But I'm going to go into the presence of the Father. Finally here, number four, strength is guaranteed. Strength is guaranteed. But the timing isn't. I want you to notice a little detail in the text before we pray. Jesus says in verse 42, bring it up for me if you will. Father, if you are willing. Here's that, that human decision again. Take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And then look at verse 43. After he had said that, an angel appeared and strengthened him. It's very interesting just to read it. It doesn't say the angel touched him. We don't know what happened. All Luke tells us is this, and it's only in Luke's gospel, so it's a beautiful little piece, that the angel appeared, and the appearance of the angel strengthened him. Now, just watch this. Here's what I want you to see. That happened after he'd made his decision. Now, if you and I were writing this story, the angel would have been, uh, he'd have shown up a bit earlier. <laughs> when Jesus was flagging, ah, what am I going to do? That's when the angel would have shown up, like some sort of, you know, parable or fable. The angel shows up, be good. But in fact, the angel has not shown up to, so that he'll make a good decision. The angel has shown up because he's made a good decision. The angel has shown up to strengthen him because he has decided to live right. One young man came to see me once and he said, I've got all these problems. My life is full of sin. And I want to commend the young man for being so honest. And I sat with him and chatted with him. He said, I'm just going through a process now. I'm, I'm bound up with lots of chains and I need to get them broken. I said, well, how long has this been going on for? Oh, a few years. And I'm just working my way through breaking these chains. Well, I'm a bit of an old-fashioned Pentecostal, you know. So I said to him, have you ever thought of maybe repenting? Have you ever thought of just deciding, I'm not going to do that anymore? Have you ever thought of just changing? Instead of all this spookiness, I've got to get another chain broken and I need a bit more prayer. 
Now, I'm not against prayer, but let me tell you this. Once you've made a decision, you're going to have all the power you need. But for as long as you're not believing and behaving as though God's way is best, it doesn't matter if 5,000 volts of the Holy Ghost comes on your head. It's not going to change you. The Holy Spirit will empower your human decision that believes God's will is best and behaves accordingly.